On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi, everyone, and welcome. We have had some techie issues again, but we have persevered through them, so I want to welcome all of you who are joining us. At any time during our Q&A, if you have a question, just go ahead and put it in the question box. Um, I also have Facebook open, so if you're a friend of mine, you can private message me on Facebook at any time during this live recording, and we can um, ask your questions. So go over to Facebook if you are on there and want to be my friend and be more than happy to be your friend. So today we are actually going to start with some questions because uh, we had some techie issues, but it doesn't matter whether you are such a professional, you pulled it off, and actually I was one of the episodes I enjoyed the most. I could just sit and think and just listen to you talk. <laughs> oh, I'm a fan. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I just, I'm a blabber. I guess that's all there is to it. No, you're, you're a teacher at heart, and you research really well, and you are prepared. So I thank you for that. But uh, So um, today we're going to start with the questions that we couldn't take last week. So let me start with question number one, and that was, if the government let us keep our own health insurance, doesn't that defeat the purpose? Um, I, I think the, the question is the intended purpose, it seems, is to have socialized medicine or making us get a specific um plan or group of plants. So the question um, is, you know, it's, it's pretty intuitive, I think. So whoever asked that question, I think it's a really good one. Yeah, it's an excellent question, and um, uh, your supposition is quite right. It does defeat the purposes of the liberal agenda to establish socialized medicine throughout the United States, the kind we see in Canada, Europe, um, other nations. But the, keep in mind that this uh, provision was not part of the Affordable Care Act, and it is probably temporary. They had to do it simply because the people who are losing their health care plans, they were supposed to be able to immediately sign up for the Affordable Care Act. Well, they couldn't uh, because of the fiasco with the website. So they have to allow them. In fact, you know, I, this is no solution at all. Uh, the President and Congress cannot force private companies to enroll people that they cut off. They cannot require Mattel Toys uh, to sell toys in Georgia. Maybe Mattel doesn't want to do that. They don't have to. So I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything yet. I haven't seen anything in the news that the insurance companies are going to respond to that. Keep in mind that insurance companies are private businesses. Government, keep your hands off. Their job is to grow their business and make a profit, just like every mom-and-pop store uh, down the street or uh, the bigger stores like Walmart and corporations. These are private entities. So if these insurance companies, for the good of the nation and the good of the people, want to cooperate and allow those people to sign back up again, it's going to be temporary. Because these insurance companies did not play ball with the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act requires these insurance companies to offer a whole set of services at a given price to to various socioeconomic groups of of people, and they simply do not qualify under Affordable Care Act standards to be a part of the exchanges. Now, the insurance companies that are 
in the exchanges set up by the federal government and set up by many of the state governments, uh, those insurance companies have accepted all of the mandates of the Affordable Care Act, including paying for abortions, for example. So whether or not that is really going to happen, the government can say, okay, sign them back up. The insurance companies just might say, no, we're not going to play ball in this, uh, in this particular arena. So very good question. But the other question, socialized medicine, that seems to be where they're heading. In the media, sometimes you see it as a single-care, uh, single-payer system where there are no insurance companies anymore. There's just the federal government and the Affordable Care Act, and everybody is forced to play a part whether they want to be a part or not. Now, we have seen the failure of these systems in, in Europe and Canada especially where lots of medical treatments are denied, mm -hmm. where over a certain age uh, you may, may not get benefits uh, that people, if you're 70 or 75 years old, you may not get the benefits uh, paid for by the Affordable Care Act that people that are 40, 40 years old might be granted because they figure, well, you're too old, you're, you're going to die anyway pretty soon, there's no point in spending a lot of money on you. That type of, of just total insensitivity and disregard uh, for human life. These are Americans that have worked all their lives. Some of them are veterans and simply being turned away because, because of their age. We also know that in Europe you have waiting lists that sometimes are more than a year long. You need a heart surgery. You, you need a kidney operation, um, any other serious types of, of procedures, and you can't get them for a year and a year and a half, and a lot of people in Europe and Canada die waiting for that treatment. We also know that a lot of people from Canada and European nations, especially Northwestern Europe, European, like Germany, France, Great Britain, Belgium, fly to the United States to get medical treatment because they can get it immediately in America right now. The Affordable Care Act would destroy all of that. And that's just one of many problems that Americans have. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes with the Affordable Care Act and the whole idea of socialized or single-payer uh, medical care. Very good yeah, question. Just, just close to home, um, one of the moms whose son plays baseball was my son. She's from Poland, and she her husband is a doctor, and she just I asked her what she thought, and she just shook her head and then ranted about it. And she said, you know, in her country um, that it was such a failure, and she just could not believe it. And she said what, it, what it's going to come down to is doctors are not only going to quit or not take patients, but it's going to take a lot of money like it does in her country to get to see a doctor, to get put to the front, and, um, you know, it's just a, a shambles there. And it just seems that, I, you know, we really, I, I'm still praying, Woody, it may be false hope that it all falls apart, but we're just really going to have to be, there's going to have to be some kind of divine intervention at this point because um, it doesn't seem like that will happen. But what? Actually, anyway. Um, I, think, I think you're right. I think it probably is going to. Uh, fall apart. I was uh, intrigued with an interview on Fox News today with Senator Marco Rubio of, of Florida, and he said this. Um, you know, it hit me so hard I memorized it when I heard it. He said, this bill cannot be saved. It must be repealed. It's just a question as to how long it will take Democrats to realize that. I say eight weeks. So we know that Democrats wow. are coming over. Democrats are abandoning the, the Affordable Care Act and the, the party and the president, and they're willing to work with Republicans. So Rubio's, you know, he is there. He is there. He is in the Senate. He knows these people. He talks to them every day. And he's saying that in about eight weeks, because we have news today, or actually yesterday from uh, Kathleen Sebelius, that this website is not going to get fixed by the end of November, and there is no idea as to when it will be fixed. So Democrats uh, just slowly but surely trickling over uh, to the other side 
Um, and of course, repealing it requires a presidential signature. But nonetheless, um, implementation of the Affordable Care Act seems to be in real serious jeopardy right now. So um, well, it looks to me to like it looks it looks to me and Senator Rubio as if this thing is not going to fly. It's just not going to make it. Yeah. Well, let's hope he's right. All right. Well, we have another question here. And the second question is, why is Congress not doing what the people that put them in office want? They seem to think they can do anything and everything, but they have to be reelected to get back in. Well, if you know, um, many of those congressmen are doing exactly what their people, the people in their states and their districts, want them to do. Uh, I mean, there are millions of people that want affordable that want affordable care, and there are millions of people that want medical care whether they pay for it or not. Uh, what I'm trying to avoid saying is people that really cannot afford to buy insurance want this medical care. So if you're from a district or a, or a state like California, Oregon, um, Washington, the whole Northeast from New York and Delaware on up to New Jersey and New Hampshire and Maine, uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of very liberal people in those states. It's hard for Republicans to get elected in those states, it's, and they want the Affordable Care Act. They want the government to provide. Uh, so a lot of the congressmen are doing exactly what their people want them to do. They are doing what they were elected to do. Many of them, probably a minority, um, I would guess 25 to 30 percent, are going to be reelected, whether they voted for the Health Care Act or not. And, but you can see the Democrats, if you're following the news, the Democratic senators and representatives, they're sounding off about Affordable Care Act and people should be able to keep their uh, policies and, and other departures from total support. These are the people that are worried about getting reelected. So if they're not, if you're, you just pay attention. All you have to do is go online and find out. If your senator, state senator, or your district's representative is voting, acting, speaking against your wishes and against your values, then get involved in throwing that person out of office. Get involved in that. And let, let, your, let, let them know you're going to hold their feet to the fire. Your job is to represent us, not to govern us, not to force us to buy medical care, not to to destroy our medical care plan. Your job is to serve us. You know, being in Congress is an act of service to the people that elected you. You represent them. It's a republic. Uh, so good question. And the folks that are not uh, faithfully representing the majority of voters in their states and their districts are probably going to be in trouble in the election of 2014. Good question. Very good. Okay, and then the second, or the last question. Um, what do you think of the discussion with Iran and the nuclear weapons? Does it not weaken the perception, real or otherwise, of the U.S. as a superpower when France has to step in and address this? Yes, that was a, a really serious embarrassment to the United States. I mean, John Kerry, the Secretary of State, comes back to Europe, back to Brussels, and is talking to all of our allies and, and all excited and laughing and happy because the Iranians are going to um, uh, go along with this agreement, and then France steps up and says no. And so that was a real uh, slap in the face and a, and a real embarrassment to the United States. It also points to the loss of leadership. Uh, we had leadership. World leadership, from the time the Cold War began, 1945, 1946, until the election of 2008, the United States had solid and very influential world leadership. Now, sure, there were a lot of people out there that hated us, and they still do. Nonetheless, we had the force, we had the power. And one of the things that, that we have to understand, you know, all the way across the Atlantic on our, on our side of the pond, as the British put it, is that um, 
we do have. We can project power globally. Most countries can't do that, but we can project that power globally. And there's one thing that people in that part of the world, the Middle East, uh, Russia, Central Asia, there is one thing they really understand, and that is power. And they respond to power. They don't respond to promises and entreaties and, and, and negotiations. I would imagine the Iranians are having parties and laughing a lot at us right now because of our total weakness and ineptitude. And it's not just the hostile countries of the Middle East, but our allies in the Middle East, countries like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, Israel, are very, very unsettled about what has happened to America, what has happened to American leadership, what has happened to American power. Now, you know, I'm not one to go out you know, and say we got to, ought to use our power, use our aircraft carriers, our bombs, our bombers. I'm not saying that we should do that, but I'm saying that there is evil on this planet. And there's only one country that has the wealth, the strength, and the power to confront that evil, and that's the United States. Now, if we're going to start getting into this globalism thing where we are going to talk and negotiate and make deals and so on and so forth, then that's the loss of that leadership, and that is the triumph of evil. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's not something in the long run that we want to see. So very right. good question, um, and the latest on that is that um, Iran is willing to cooperate with us. They will let the international community examine and inspect some of their nuclear facilities. But the ones where they have the 14,000 centrifuges, and the only pur purpose of a centrifuge is to make nuclear-grade bomb material, we will not be able to inspect those. But we can come in and inspect some of their other facilities if we lift the economic sanctions that are causing them great economic difficulties. So they get what they want, we get nothing, is what this deal is looking like right now. And hmm. I, don't, I don't think even if um, Kerry was able to work out a deal uh, and the Europeans, including France, are they all sign on to it. I don't think the United States Senate would approve this treaty. Now, remember, we have a system called checks and balances written throughout the Constitution, mostly in Articles 1 and 2, and that basically keeps one of the branches of government, particularly executive, from getting too powerful. And that is the president can negotiate a treaty, but the Senate has to approve it. And word is, coming out of the Senate right now, that this treaty, as it is right now, would not be approved. So, follow that one in the news. This is a story that's ongoing. Very good. All right, and one more question before we go to commercial break, and that is, we live in Florida, and our representative in the House is Trey Radel, who was just busted for use of cocaine. What are your hey, thoughts what? on this and the political... He he was he was uh, caught for cocaine using okay. cocaine. Um, it says, "What are your thoughts on this and the political implications? Does this parallel what is going on with the mayor of Toronto? So, public figures who are definitely um, breaking the law." Yeah, I hope Although this is not not the beginning of a trend, uh, but uh, yeah. without question, of course, Canada is different from the United States. Their whole law, their whole setup. You're talking about a congressman versus a mayor. Uh, one's an American and one's a Canadian. Now, what the Canadians do, we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, but what what should happen with this congressman? You say this guy is from Florida. Yes, he's a, a representative in the House. Well, you know, he's. Um, one of the great constitutional principles that we have is called the rule of law, and that is that nobody is above the law. If you break the law, you will be held accountable in the judicial system. So without question, a police investigation and the investigations turned over to the prosecutor's office. This guy should be prosecuted, Is and the House of Representatives should vote, and they have the power in Article 1 to kick him out. 
And secondly, he needs to be prosecuted and treated the way the other cocaine abusers are treated. Whether they're 17-year-old kids in the street or a member of Congress, it has nothing to do with it. Rule of law. Everybody stands equal before the law. So I would say that this particular representative uh, is toast, essentially. Is he a Democrat yeah. or a Republican? He's a Republican. Okay. Well, no, the Republican, the Republican. If he was a Democrat, he might, he would have a lot of support. Uh, but if he's a Republican, he won't. The Republican Party will turn its back on this if he is guilty. But remember this also: another constitutional principle: we are innocent until we are proven guilty. Uh, proven guilty. Fifth and Sixth Amendments: we are innocent until proven guilty. Uh, I so believe he, this, he, pleaded, is, he pleaded guilty, though. Oh, he did um, already. Here on the internet. Okay. Yeah, Trey Riddle pleads. Um, Representative Trey Riddle pleads guilty, and it says, um, "Yeah, he's re- a Republican from Florida." So, unfortunately, yeah, we're okay. we're very familiar with him. So. I'll look that up later. Well, you better start uh, looking around for a new representative. <laughs> yeah, he's a freshman congressman who represents a solidly Republican district in Southwest Florida, which is My where goodness. we're from. Yeah, so um, you know, I I do I have heard and I do understand that there are an awful lot of people, people that you would never suspect that are using drugs recreationally. Yeah. So I'm not surprised at all. And I, how many other members of Congress are using drugs? I wouldn't be surprised if there's more than a handful. Yeah, very sad, very sad. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I will keep up with that. Uh, another thing in the story, but good to know um, for those of you listening that the rule of law is something that's important that you should make note of. And um, you know, if you're keeping a notebook during these sessions, kids, um, put that in there in Article 1. So very good. Okay, we are going to break for a really short commercial, and we'll be right back. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Welcome to all of you who are joining us today. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is another episode of The Current Issues and the Constitution. And I am your moderator and definitely the back-end person as we... Uh, continue on with the person who has all the answers. And I'm a, I'm glad they're asking you, Hardly. Woody, and not me. So <laughs> I'm making up most of this stuff. So <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, you're not. Okay. Well, we're uh, going to continue uh, with our our session today. Uh, you've caught up on all the questions. Thank you. So um, go ahead and get us started with uh, some of the points you want to make for this this session today. <laughs> well, as as we know, this story does have legs. It is uh, dominating the media and has uh, since the initial failure on October 1st uh, of the Affordable Care Act website. Uh, yesterday, Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius uh, made a statement, a public statement, and this whole thing was orchestrated, of course, And without question, uh, the secretary is in a group of people in Congress, in the bureaucracy, and in the White House who meet together and talk together 
and decide together what their strategy is going to be. Now, that's a really real shame that people have to do that, that they have to play politics with legislation and with policy. They're not, we're not supposed to do that. And people, the American people don't seem to realize, they seem to believe that it's just a part of the fabric. Well, it's not. These political types of, uh, of maneuverings are what we expect to see in a campaign where people are running for office. But once you're in that office, you are guided by the law and the responsibilities given to you by the Constitution. And it's really a shame that they're doing this, but without question, Kathleen Sebelius was given her talking points, and she was probably a part of making up those talking points, but the real, real impact is coming from the White House. So she marches out, uh, gets in front of the microphones, and says that the ACA website will still be a work in progress beyond the end of the month. Now, remember that they said they were going to have it fixed by the end of November. Well, now uh, Sibelius apparently knows and understands that it's not going to be fixed that quickly. So instead of saying it's a failure, she says, and I wonder which uh, White House official came up with this, a, a favorite American axiom, a work in progress. And there are several different ways to say that also. So... Apparently, uh, Sibelius and her fellows are preparing the American people for a continued failure of the website. Also yesterday, uh, called before the uh, House Subcommittee on Energy and Commerce was Henry Chow. He's another bureaucrat, and this one is the Deputy Chief Information Officer. Get that bureaucratic title. Henry Chow is the Deputy not the chief, the deputy chief information officer. So it's his job to give out information. And he is at the centers for both Medicare and Medicaid. Those are the two huge government-run medical care programs, Medicaid for the poor, Medicare uh, for the elderly. And he testified to the subcommittee that the site will be, he didn't say a work in progress, Sibelius got to say that, he said that the work will be continuously improved through the end of the month. And when Republican representatives really pressed him, he finally said, no, it will not be fixed. Uh, so this is an ongoing problem, and how far is it going to go? How long will it go on? And how much will this affect not only the perception of the American people, but the perception of the people that represent them in Congress? Now, the Washington Post um, uh, went, got together, that's a newspaper, with ABC, uh, American Broadcasting Company. It's a, one of the liberal um, media streams or media stations. So the Washington Post, ABC, got together and did a poll, 11-14, uh, November 14th to 17th, and found this out, that the uh, movement, we have, we've got a serious sea change going on in America. Here are five main points that this poll revealed. Seventy percent of the American people say the country is headed seriously off on the wrong track. Seventy percent. That is a huge supermajority of Americans who are going to be voting in 2014. And they said America is going in the wrong direction. And they are referring to the government of the United States. A second point is this. Americans by nearly, oh, about two to one, there was 63 to 33% disapprove of Obama's handling of implementation of the new health care law. So 63%, another supermajority, have lost respect for the president. And that's going to trickle down to representatives and senators seeking re-election. Thirdly, the public, by 57 to 40 percent, now oppose the law overall. 57 percent, 3 percent, you've got a supermajority. They oppose the law overall. 57 percent would be very happy 
to see the law repealed. There are going to be a lot of Democrats that are going to get a lot of pressure back in their states and their districts to speak up for repeal. And it could be that by January or February we'll see significant majorities in both the House and the Senate voting for repeal of the law. If not that, certainly they're going to vote for delay of implementation. And the talking figure um, a few weeks ago was one year, delayed for one year. If it's delayed for one year, it's probably dead. And the American people could confirm that in the next two elections, 2014 Congress, 2016 Congress, and the President. By the way, keep in mind, um, every two years we have an election, and every two years every member of Congress must be reelected, and one-third of the senators are reelected. Uh, they have six-year terms, so every um, two years one-third will face reelection. So you might want to check in to see if any of your senators are up for re-election and you want to hear and see what they have to say and what they are doing in regards to the Affordable Care Act. Did they vote for it in the beginning? If they're a Democrat, they did. Every Democrat voted for it back in 2010, and every Republican voted against it. Uh, so check those kinds of things out as we head into the next election. The fourth point from the Washington Post-ABC poll, 71% of the American people favor postponing the individual mandate requiring all Americans to have coverage. 71%, another supermajority, postpone it. And then fifthly, the mandate that everybody has to buy medical insurance which is just unbelievable. No government in the United States has ever done a thing like that. Not only to require people that they, they have to buy uh, medical insurance, whether they want it or not, whether they need it or not, like a single guy uh, trying to get a start, 27 years old, uh, unbelievably healthy, no problems, doesn't want medical care. He needs the money uh, to start a family perhaps, to get married, to have children, to buy a house, okay, so now he is forced to buy it. Well, 65% supermajority of the American people oppose the mandate, period. And a majority of that 65% oppose it strongly. So, again, it's, it's like a tidal wave. Uh, it's like a paradigm shift where people were okay six months ago with the Affordable Care Act. That has changed radically. And here's one that really intrigued me. It made me sit up and take notice. This is a Gallup poll, and it was released yesterday also. And the Gallup poll asked several questions, but this one really struck me because it's a pet peeve of mine and has been for a long time, was this. The question was this. Is the federal government responsible for providing health care? And the answer was no, 57% said no, 42% said yes. And those are the people that voted for Obama and would vote for him again if he were eligible. So 57%, now what does that mean? It means that the Tenth Amendment has promise. And again, I'm very disappointed in Republican Republicans, public Republicans, I'm very disappointed that I don't hear them talking about the Tenth Amendment. And you and I have seen it a number of times, but let's revisit that very carefully, very quickly, because it's a very important point, and I'm watching and listening carefully. I want to hear somebody like maybe Mark Rubio or Rand Paul or Ted Cruz or anybody else that's got the guts to stand up, stand up and say that the Tenth Amendment matters. Now, the Tenth Amendment, are you there? It says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states. There is no mention of health care anywhere in the Constitution. It's certainly not in Article One, Section 8 in those 17 clauses. And you need to take a look at those again and look and see exactly what the Founding Fathers intended for the government to do. They're listed right there in Article 1, Section 8. 
And nowhere in there is it even implied that the federal government has the authority to run a program having to do with health care or any other social program for that matter. So this is a window of opportunity for Republicans to hold up the Constitution and say, look, we have been going in the wrong direction since the 1960s when Medicare and Medicaid were first passed. Not only is the Affordable Care Act unconstitutional, but so are Medicare and Medicaid. We need to transition these programs back to the states, and the states can, people in the states can decide what to do with them and what to do about health care. Massachusetts, uh, when Romney was governor, passed a very good uh, health care act for the people of Massachusetts, and that is right. That is Massachusetts's privilege to do so, and it's the privilege of every state as well. So be listening for some bold Republican leader to step up and say, the Constitution matters, the Tenth Amendment matters. Okay? Also um, in the news, uh, uh, news uh, this is a breaking story. Uh, we've seen so many scandals uh, since 2008. Uh, with the IRS, with the National Security Agency, the Department of Justice, gun-running operations, uh, the Benghazi uh, fiasco, a lot of lying going on there. Well, here's a news story breaking. Apparently, uh, whistleblowers, these are people that work in a company, and the company's doing something bad wrong, and the uh, an employee with a conscience uh, makes the information public. Well, somebody that works for the Census Bureau, one of, what, 14, 13 or 1,400 government agencies, somebody in the Census Bureau released information that the Census Bureau fabricated unemployment numbers right before the election of 2012. Now, for four years, under the Obama administration, Unemployment was up above 8%. And three or four months before the election, it was at 8.1%. All of a sudden, it dropped to 7.85% right before the election, like two, three weeks before the election. And uh, it appears that the idea was to help Barack Obama get reelected. We have never reelected a president who was running for a reelection when the economy was bad. That's why I was absolutely certain that Mitt Romney would win that election. Well, this very important figure, unemployment, it's uh, one of the important uh, pieces of data we use to gauge the health of our economy. Again, it drops suddenly from 8.1 to, uh, to about 7.8 right before the election, and after the election, guess what? It went back up again. So we have information being released that somebody in the Census Bureau was ordered to fabricate unemployment numbers. It kind of reminds me of those global warming people. There have been three incidents, and you don't see it much in the media. Uh, not even Fox News covers it as much as I would like to see them, is that uh, they have fabricated information on three separate occasions um, in an attempt to persuade Americans and the rest of the world to believe that the globe is warming up and that it is the fault of human beings and their CO2, carbon dioxide, emissions. So keep an eye on that story. There should be more word tomorrow. Now, these are the kinds of stories you won't see in the liberal media. So CNN, CNBC, NBC, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, and several others and many blogs you won't see them coming forth with this kind of information. So the only place that I know of that you can get it is Fox News. And there are probably other places too, but I don't know what they are. I'm content to get my information from Fox News. So keep an eye on that story. All right? So uh, going back... Um, Changing the channel, that's current events for today. Uh, let's go back to abortion. Uh, last time we talked about, um, by the way, I also, also learned, I had heard this before mentioned, sort of whispered, but uh, it, is, uh, it, is, it is a solid fact now 
the Affordable Care Act has an abortion mandate. So people, insurance companies, anybody who's providing medical care must provide funding for abortion. All right, so big pro-choice organizations like Planned Parenthood, for example, and others are going to make tens of millions of dollars from taxpayer subsidized abortion. By the way, talking about subsidies, we also found out very recently, and this is very disturbing to me, is that um, the federal government is going to, okay, all, all these insurance companies that have accepted the Affordable Care Act mandates and requirements, and they're getting into it, and they're going to insure people according to the dictates of the Affordable Care Act. If they are not making a profit, the federal government is going to use our money, the people's money, to reimburse them and to keep them solvent. They're going to bail them out, and it's going to happen. So not only are we paying subsidies for people to buy the Affordable Care Act policies, we're paying for that also. We're going to pay for the insurance companies as well. So this $2 trillion program is definitely going to escalate. So Planned Parenthood, other players, are going to make a lot of money from thousands, tens of thousands, if not millions of taxpayer-subsidized abortions. Okay, there's another reason to oppose the Affordable Care Act. Last time we talked about Roe versus Wade, it was basically decided by the Supreme Court to overturn Texas law and everybody else's laws that banned abortion based on the right to privacy. And last time we went through amendments 1, 3, 4, 9, and, and uh and we can, you can see the case for privacy in 3, 4, and 9. I can't find it. I mean, I cannot envision it. You'd have to really stretch something in the First Amendment to use it to justify abortion. So I don't get that. 3 and 4, particularly, I get. Privacy in your home, a privacy in your person, effects in your papers, um, in the Fourth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment uh, protects... Americans, you know, if, if rights, the rights that we have that are not mentioned in the Constitution, or basically is saying because specific rights were mentioned in the Constitution, that doesn't mean that's all the rights we have. We have thousands of other rights as well, and we discussed some of those, like education, buying a house, traveling across the country, uh, eating high-fat food, <laughs> other kinds. We have, all, we have rights to do just about anything we want to do, so long as we're not breaking the law or hurting somebody or their property. And then we looked at the 14th Amendment, equal protection of the law, and life, liberty, and property, which you also find in the 5th Amendment. Uh, Americans are, are guaranteed life, liberty, and property. And the operative word that they used, that some, the liberal justices used in Roe v. Wade, was the word liberty. So you've got liberty, which evolves into freedom, which evolves into choice. And hence, we call the people who support abortion pro-choice. And once again, um, the problem is, uh, really bothers me, and has bothered me for several decades, is that nobody's talking about the Tenth Amendment. Republicans are, I can understand why Democrats don't. They don't respect the Constitution anyway. Well, I'm sure that many of them do. Uh, but the ones with the agenda are not going to be stopped either by the church or by the Constitution. But I would like to, I really wish that Republicans would start explaining to the people, teach the American people how the Constitution works, how the Tenth Amendment works. We also said um, uh, you go to Oyez, O-Y-E-Z, and you type in OYEZ abortion cases, you'll get a list of 35 Supreme Court decisions, mostly coming out of the states. States uh, restrict this and they restrict that and they put time limits on this. And you know, the question, questions come up, do uh, wives have to tell their husbands before they get an abortion? Uh, do children have to tell their parents before they get an abortion? Can you 
make uh, can you ban abortion in the second two trimesters? Uh, you know, all kinds of states have done all kinds of things to try to rein in uh, freewheeling abortion as birth control or something like that. And many of these cases are sued by Planned Parenthood and by the ACLU and end up in the Supreme Court. Uh, some of those cases have gone for the pro-life uh, point of view, and some of those cases have gone for the pro-choice point of view. We also talked about a tracking poll that Gallup uh, ran from 1995 to 2012. In 1995, 56% were basically described themselves as pro-choice, and only 33% as pro-life. Well, now, 17 years later, 51% describe themselves as pro-life and 42% as pro-choice. And those two lines coming from 2009 was when the reversal began. And I still not, I cannot comfortably say, here's the reason. But those lines started moving. The pro-life line is moving up at a very sharp angle and the pro-choice moving down at a very sharp angle. 51% to 42%, now a 9% difference. So that is a sea change. It's a paradigm shift, and that doesn't happen very often. It's a paradigm shift on how the American people view abortion. So why? A lot of speculations, uh, partial birth uh, abortions, which is a particularly brutal process, a horrible process, um, has been in the news quite a bit. As a matter of fact, there was an abortion doctor in, uh, or an abor at an abortion ran an abortion clinic in Philadelphia, and on May 13, 2013, this doctor was found to be responsible for cutting the spines and throats of babies after the the abortion failed and the baby was born alive, and this doctor basically murdered them. He was convicted Monday of, you know, this is not a far cry from a partial birth abortion, which is a pretty gruesome process and sure looks like murder to me. It's definitely a killing, regardless of what the law says. So this guy was convicted Monday on three counts of first-degree murder in a case that became a sharp rallying cry for the pro-life people, anti-abortion activists. And he also was accused of manslaughter in the death of one of his patients. The doctor's name was Kermit Gosnell. He was 72 years old, and he ran this uh, clinic in West Philadelphia. It catered to poor women, and the prosecutors called this clinic a house of horrors. And I've read about it. Um, in fact, I read an in-depth article on it that really made me sick. I mean, it just, it's just so depressing what was being done in this clinic in the name of abortion. And that's the problem. If you're going to have something, you're going to have a policy like abortion, you're going to have this. I mean, it's not just that 50 million human lives have been snuffed out since 1973 in Roe v. Wade. I mean, that's bad enough in itself, but this kind of gruesome, well, it's the kind of thing you might expect to see in a horrible horrible movie of some type that comes out of Hollywood. Well, this guy was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Prosecutors asked for the death penalty. They didn't get it, but they did get life in prison without parole for the murder of a baby born alive. They only basically went after one case, but there were several other cases as well. In fact, this doctor would kill the baby and then he would make jokes about it and expect everybody in the clinic to laugh. So, that may very well be uh, partial birth abortion and other ki kinds of uh, slip-ups and atrocities might be behind the sea change that we're seeing in people's attitude towards abortion. And the fact that uh, the federal government now uh, uh, in the Obama administration is trying to force abortion, uh, remember we had a cup uh, a case a couple of years ago where uh, Catholic-run hospitals were being forced to provide abortion, 
and even pay for abortion in the insurance policies for their workers. And many of these workers were not Catholics. And the federal, we see that the federal government was trying to force the Catholic Church not only to accept, but to help promote this practice that we call abortion. So when the federal government is doing that, uh, the federal government is not doing what it is supposed to be doing. That is not their job. That is not their place. So we have a federal government. It's sort of like the New Deal government. You know, by the time you get to 1945, every, just about everybody in Congress and in the bureaucracies were New Dealers. They wanted to see more of it. I think that's what we have in Washington, D.C. We have bureaucracies full of people that are helping to pursue and promote that liberal agenda. And abortion is one, one of the theses of that agenda. It appears we're just about out of time, so I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, next time we will um, finish up this abortion thing, and it'll be two weeks, and we'll probably have a lot of news. And hopefully, um, people are going. Democrats are going to desert the party and desert the president. Republicans are going to stand up and start talking about delay, repeal, and the Tenth Amendment. Uh, hopefully that will happen in the next two weeks, and uh, we'll talk about that. And hope to finish up um, uh, some more things that you need to know about what's going on with abortion in America. And then we'll proceed into our second issue, which will be affirmative action. It's not the hot-button issue that abortion is. And it's not getting mentioned a lot right now because the focus is on the Affordable Care Act and everything to do with that. But if you want to start um, reading, looking, researching affirmative action, um, it would help you a great deal to better understand what this issue deals with. In fact, this one goes all the way back to 1960, 61. Uh, John Kennedy, President of the United States, is the first that I know of uh, to mention that affirmative action is something that we need to do. So it's a long pathway, and it is mm -hmm. still an issue today. And liberals and conservatives are divided on it. Okay, you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe uh, let me wait and say that a minute later. I'm sure Felice has some questions. Um, actually, we don't. I think they gave you all the questions at the beginning. There were just some comments um, from some of the things you said, but we don't have any more questions. And you're right, we are out of time. So thank you so much. We are taking a break. If you're listening to this in the archives, just check our website for updated events. And because it is the holidays, we will be taking a break. And then we'll be back the week after Thanksgiving right on time. So um, thank you so much for joining us, Woody, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Felice, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Don't forget... This is our oldest tradition going all the way back to the 1620s. And the colonists got together and gave thanks to God uh, for the freedom and for the life and for the abundance that they so enjoyed. So remember that on Thanksgiving Day. Give thanks. Yes, See you amen. in two weeks. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.